I run to Christ when chased by fear and find a refuge sure. Believe in me, his voice I hear, his words and wounds secure. I run to Christ when torn by grief and find abundant peace. I too had tears, he gently speaks, thus joy and sorrow meet. I run to Christ when worn by life and find my soul refreshed. Come unto me, he calls through strife, fatigue gives way to rest. I run to Christ when vexed by hell and find a mighty arm. The devil flees, the scriptures tell, he roars but cannot harm. I run to Christ when stalked by sin and find a sure escape. Deliver me, I cry to him, temptation yields to grace. I run to Christ when plagued with shame and find my one defense. I bore God's wrath, he pleads my case, my advocate and friend. Thank you, Daniel. Wonderful song, Run to Christ. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Ephesians tonight, chapter 5. We're not going to continue our study of Ephesians tonight. Be looking at one of the Psalms. But I was just sitting here tonight while we were singing, thinking of a passage in Ephesians 5 that will be a good introduction into our text for tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, please, verses 18, 19, and 20. Ephesians 5, 18, 19, and 20. And be not drunk with wine, we're in a success, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled, dominated by the Spirit. What happens when a person is controlled by the Spirit? What happens when we're empowered by God's Spirit, totally under the, the domination of God's Spirit? Here are the results, one of the results. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A spirit-filled Christian is a singing Christian. A spirit-filled Christian is a thanking Christian. A spirit-filled Christian is a praising Christian. Be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and 
hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know, about a week and a half ago, I woke up early one morning. I was lying in bed thinking of the agenda for the day, and it was a, it was a jam-packed, full, one of these days where, you know, your plate is full, and you know that before you get out of bed. And as I was thinking about all the things that I, I could use one of two words, had to do that day, that doesn't sound real good, or got to do that day. All the things I had to do that day, I mean, I really, they had to be done. But not only did I have to do them, I wanted to do them. I, I got to do them. I was excited about doing them. But as I began to think of all the things, and then some more things came in, that I thought, well, that's got to be done too. You've definitely got to do that also today. It was like, this list is getting really long, and I'm not helping it by lying here thinking about it. So whatever time it was, I don't know, 6.30, quarter, 7, I thought, you know, you better get up and get at it. A verse of Scripture came to my mind. A verse I had not thought about in a long, long time. A simple verse in one of the Psalms. Now, without using your Bible or a handheld device, I'd like to quote the verse, just the first part of the verse. And I'd like for you to raise your hand. If you are confident, you know what the reference is. Okay, no cheating now, please. Here we go. Have you ever heard this before? Have you ever heard this phrase before? Serve the Lord with Gladness. If you think you know where it's found, raise your hand. Good. There's one, there's two, there's three. Where's that found? Serve the Lord with gladness. You got it too? Four. Anybody that raised your hand want to volunteer? Yes, sir. Good. Psalm 100, verse 2. Let's turn to Psalm 100, please. Psalm 100. I don't know why, but I quoted that verse that morning. Larry, you know what you need to do? You just need to serve the Lord with gladness. That's what the Bible says. It's a command. It's a mandate. So you have a decision to make. All of God, there's, a, there's a decision for all of us to make with every mandate of God. Now, this is not one of those mandates that is um, harsh. This is not the kind of command or mandate or exhortation where God, so to speak, is looking down from heaven saying, look, you better serve the Lord with gladness. You hear me? Do you hear me now? You serve the Lord. With, you serve me with gladness. This is not the idea here. This is really, this is it, is, it is a command. It is a mandate. It is an exhortation. But it's gentle, really, I believe, with great encouragement. And I, and I get that because of the, the whole, the message of this entire psalm. And I was thinking that morning, Larry, that's what you need to do, not just today, but every day. You just need to serve the Lord with gladness. Whatever you do, serve the Lord with gladness. So we want to look at this psalm tonight. We'll not go into a lot of depth in it. I don't have an outline. We're just going to kind of work our way through the psalm. I want to share some thoughts from this psalm tonight. And you will find that it is, well, look at the prescript here, a psalm of praise. The, the theme of praise or thanksgiving, as you know, is found in many, many psalms. The subject of praise, thanksgiving, that's not new. That's not rare in psalms. That is found throughout the entire book of psalms. But this is the only psalm of all 150 psalms, only psalm that has that exact prescript, a psalm of praise, or it could be a psalm of thanksgiving. 
So what does this psalm speak about? It speaks about the, can I summarize it first? It speaks about the subject of worship. It speaks about the subject of being grateful, having a heart of gratitude to the Lord. It speaks about, it speaks about having a heart of, of praise and thanksgiving. Worship, adoration, praise, thanksgiving, and how God wants us to respond to those thoughts. So God gives us some mandates, some commands, some exhortations here, a few. But along with those commands, he graciously gives us some motivation. Some thoughts that ought to be in our mind to encourage us to do what he tells us to do. So let's just work our way through the psalm. But tonight, if you don't get anything out of the psalm from beginning to end, I want you to go home, even though we won't spend much time on that little phrase, I want you to go home tonight thinking about the phrase, serve the Lord with gladness. What goes along with glad serving? And what motivates us to serve the Lord with gladness? Why don't we read the psalm together, please? Could we stay together as we read all five verses? Here we go, beginning at the very first word, make. Here we go. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. And the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. And for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Some morning this past week, I think Monday or Tuesday, I woke up again thinking about that phrase, serve the Lord with gladness. And I thought, you know, I think I memorized that psalm when I was in kindergarten or first grade. There were not a lot of Christian schools back in those days, but we were going to a Christian Reformed church, a Dutch Reformed church, and they had many Christians because they had seven different Christian schools throughout the uh, city of Grand Rapids. Most of those students were or Christian Reformed churches. They were, there were, I, I had some godly teach, and I, we had a large family. I've mentioned this before. We had a very large family, eight children, and our church wanted to help our family go to a Christian school. And so I went to the Christian school from uh, kindergarten through the ninth grade. Um, when we left the Christian Reformed Church and went to the Baptist Church, that was my last day in a Christian school. I went to public school, public high school, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. While I was in a Christian school, we memorized many of the Psalms. And one of the very first Psalms we learned, either in kindergarten or first grade, was Psalm 100. And I've never forgotten that Psalm. It was not hard for me to lie in bed, I think, Monday morning and quote Psalm 100. And I've never really reviewed it. It just, it just came out. And I thought, what a great psalm for us to look at for just a few moments tonight. So just verse by verse, just a few thoughts I share with you. First of all, verse 1, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. The word noise, kind of a little word study tonight, okay? The word noise means a glad shout. Make a joyful noise, a glad shout. Now you've probably heard people say during congregational singing, hey listen, it doesn't really matter if you have a really nice voice. Don't worry about it. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So you just sing out and not worry about what it sounds like. Well, that's okay. That's really true. But if you really want to do what the verse says, you want to be careful because that means everybody just might shout shouting. 
And really, that's not what we want in congregational singing. Because the word noise here does mean it speaks of a glad shout. It's like a crowd of people that, that might be a crowd of people in those days that would shout when their, when their king came into it. When he came into the city, like we mentioned this morning, or when he just made an appearance, people would shout. We have a hard time relating to that today. I mean, I don't know if President Biden stepped in the crowd tonight, if in the room tonight, how much you'd shout. I'm really not sure, okay? But anyway, we don't really think of this tonight as shouting when a president or somebody comes into our presence. Maybe tonight we could relate. There's nothing against him, okay? It's just the way it is. Maybe we can relate better to this word noise tonight. If you were like at a in a big stadium or in a, in a huge, uh, like, uh, a NBA game or something or, or a football stadium or, oh, David, Clemson, okay, the Clemson football game, right at the end of the game, it's Clemson versus Oklahoma. Now, he's big-time Clemson, but he's not real keen on Oklahoma. He can tell you why sometime. I'll not tell you, okay? But here it is, Clemson, Oklahoma. It's right at the end of the game. And Clemson is behind Oklahoma, but they have the ball. It's last down, fourth down, and goal to goal, and they're on the three-yard line, okay? And so the snap from center, and they run their play. It's a pass or a run. And when that Clemson football player crosses the finish line, and all the Clemson fans know they have won the game, can you imagine the sound in that stadium? That's kind of the idea here. It's that joyful sound. It's that loud, ear-splitting sound, okay? And God says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. In fact, really, because the word literally means to split the ears with a loud sound. sound the sound of, so to speak, an alarm. How many of you have been by one of these air raid tornado sirens really close to it when it went off? I mean, they're loud. They really are. The one here is just right down here at the corner by Britain. I mean, it's loud. I don't think of it much when I'm in the office. But one day I was out there working in the yard, and that thing came out at 12 o'clock noon, and I mean, it was loud. And it's like, whoa. And then you always hear all the dogs in the neighborhood, you know how they all start barking and carrying on, like when they hear sirens in the 12 o'clock noon thing. I mean, it's like, it's kind of this ear-splitting sound. And God says for, for Christians, hey, listen, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Our praise should be joyful. It should not be somber. Should be serious, but it still should be joyful. It's a joyful noise. God's redeemed people should be a cheerful people. Christians should not be known as sad, gloomy, depressed people. That's just how many times I preach that. It's just the truth. So it's not just make a noise unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands. All ye lands, it's for all people. Anyone, anywhere in the world can make a joyful sound, a joyful noise unto the Lord. But I think you and I know the verse says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Only a true Christian can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And that we should do. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. It takes a truly saved person to genuinely make a joyful shout of praise unto the Lord. Verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Our service should always accompany our praise. Service should always accompany adoration. You're going to see this throughout the psalm. Service should always accompany a thankful heart. There's something wrong if a person is praying and praising 
and so to speak, same, they adore the Lord, they respect the Lord, they reverence the Lord, they have a thankful, grateful heart to the Lord, but they don't serve the Lord. And by the way, the word serve means to work. It's work that is done in the name of the Lord. It takes time. It takes effort. It's something that takes energy. It takes thought. It takes perhaps inconvenience. It might take some discomfort. It might even take some money. But it's doing something. But it's doing anything in the name of the Lord. It's doing anything for the glory of the Lord. Whatever we do, we ought to do for the glory of the Lord. Whatever we do, we ought to do because we want, we want God to look good. We want others to have a, a right reputation, a right uh, a, a thought of God. It's not that we do it for ourselves. We don't do it to attract attention to ourselves. We do it to attract attention to the Lord. And it's not, we're not just talking about, about preaching here or serving in a nursery or serving the Lord by teaching a Sunday school class or serving the Lord by being a truth tracker's leader. And we're not talking about, you know, missionary Christian school teacher, you know, Christian service, full-time service. That's not the idea. It's just everything we do, we do before the Lord. It was, it was kind of funny, in fact. Uh, when we were down in Tampa on vacation, and then when we went down again to bring Darla down to school, and those two were not connected together in any way. But it was interesting to be around some of the people that were there when... We were there when I was there as youth pastor. I think when we went back and we were, we were unloading the U-Haul truck at the school. And then we were unloading the rest of the U-Haul truck over at the house. And most of the people there really did not know us. They were just people that the, that the um, assistant pastor of the church uh, come and help unload the truck. His mom came up to me and she said, Pastor Carsey, we had a hard, we've had a hard time forgiving you since you left. I said, what is that all about? And she said, you have no idea how much we wanted our son to be in your youth group. And he finally made it to the seventh grade. And that's when you announced you were leaving. I think that was the assistant pastor's mom. Another lady came up to me and she said, we still hold it against you, brother. We still hold something against you. I said, what's that? He said, we were for the day when our son would be in your youth group. And the year that he finally made it to the seventh grade, you left and went to Kansas City. Well, that was kind of encouraging to me. What could I do but say, I'm sorry, okay? And I can't tell you, now this is, this is not a big deal, but my wife and I started laughing because almost everybody that came up to us would say the same thing. You know one thing I really remember about you? Man, your yard was beautiful. I mean, you had nice grass, and I respected you for that. It made me think highly of you. One guy came up to me and he said, the guy that washed his car every week and waxed it four times a year, and I'm thinking, how do you remember that? He said, how could I forget that, you know? Somebody else comes walking up and says, the youth pastor that had beautiful grass and a clean car, and I'm thinking, there's a lot more important things to me than nice grass and a clean car. My wife said, he's never changed. That's still him. But I've said this in church. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. 
It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of money, especially the way I water my lawn, okay? But I don't do it for me. I do it for the Lord. And listen to this. Not long ago, somebody came. They called. They wanted to talk to us about our school. And the lady, when she came over, she said, well, we just live over here. And she said, we see your husband a lot working out in the yard. We see him out washing his car. He said, he's washing his car. And my husband and I, we said, you know what? I don't know who that guy is, but we respect him. There's something about that man. He's a hard worker. She said, we had no idea you were a pastor of a church. And then she said, we found out that you were a pastor of a church and you had a Christian school. We thought, you know what? We might want our boy in that Christian school. I don't say that to magnify myself. I don't say it to glorify myself. Honestly, I do what I do by the grace of God. I do it for the glory of God. But when we're talking about serving the Lord, we're not just talking about preaching sermons. We're talking about what we do in the morning, what we do in the afternoon, what we do after hours, what we do on the weekends. I mean, where, how do we spend our time? What is life all about to us? Everything we do, we ought to think about, and look, this is serving the Lord. I thought yesterday, in fact, twice this week, okay? Twice this week, the thought went through my mind. You know what? The first time, I didn't get there in time, and I felt bad. And when I got there, I got, I'm talking about what happened, Dr. Wright move. We had a big discussion about this at our house. I said, you know, I need to go over and help Dr. Wright load his truck here if I could. My wife said, they were going to start at 10. She says, what time are you going? I said, I'll probably go about 1 o'clock. She said, honey, you're going to walk in, and they're going to be done. I said, they're not going to be done at 1 o'clock. They'll just be starting. I think I'm missing this. I said, they'll be loading that truck. At 6.30, and we have men's D&D &D night. Well, I got there, I think, about 1 o'clock, somewhere around there. And when I drove up, I could see they were almost at the back door of the truck, and I felt really badly. I mean, what, what help I did was not a whole lot. Now, then Dr. Wright calls me during the week and says, we're going to have to come back and get another truck. I'll be flying in at a certain time. I'll pick up the truck. I'll go over to the house. And so he says, I'm coming in about 3.15. He said, I've got the truck reserved at 4.30. Going to have uh, start loading at 5.30. And you know what I thought? opportunity, brother. Serve the Lord with gladness. I mean, don't I look forward to loading trucks and all that kind of stuff, okay? Serve the Lord with gladness. And so I said, Dr. Wright, how about I'll meet you at the airport. I'll take you out for dinner. I'll take you down to U-Haul. I'll be at the house at 530. I'll help you load your truck. That's a little different stuff than preaching a message. But it's serving the Lord. Now, what do you do? You're not up here preaching. Many of you don't teach a science school class or have a youth group or something. But what do you do at work? Where's your, what's your job? And when you get out of work, what do you do when you get home? What do you do on those weekends? Everything you do, everything you do, all throughout the day, if we're right with the Lord and our attitude is right and our motive is right, we want to glorify the Lord, we want to make God look good by what we do and praise his name, then God says, okay, then here's what you do. You serve the Lord with gladness. Do not serve the Lord with sadness. Do not serve the Lord with madness. A lot of things can make you sad if you don't have a heart attitude right. When you're working right, a lot of things can make you mad if, if you want to get mad about some things. But if you want, you want to have some fun, I've had more fun doing this about the last week and a half. Just every morning when I get up and all throughout the day, I just remind myself, hey, buddy, enjoy the moment. Serve the Lord with gladness. It makes such a huge difference. And I, if, that's, if that's all you get out of this psalm tonight, you will go home and your life, I believe, will be different. As things that might irritate you, things that might disappoint you, things that might make you a little depressed, things that might stretch you but you think is beyond your limit, these things suddenly become just wonderful ways to serve the Lord 
with gladness. And in the rest of Psalm, he gives us all kinds of things to kind of help us be motivated to do that. Serve the Lord with gladness. Look what he says. Come before his presence with singing. Come before his presence with singing. We should focus on being in his presence as we worship him. Whether it's public, services like this, we're in the presence of the Lord. Or whether it's private, at our home, in our car, out in the backyard, at work, wherever we are. Just being aware of the fact that, and especially when we pray, especially when we sing, especially when we read the word of God, to be thinking, you know what? I'm actually kneeling or standing or sitting. I'm in the presence of the Lord. I love to read the books written by Dr. Jim Berg and the video series that Dr. Berg has put out. I'm, as I read, as I listen, as I watch, as I've gotten to know Dr. Berg through the years, I'm, one thing that's always really impressed me is that he encourages people in their praying and in their Bible study and in their scripture memorization and their meditating on the Lord and his word. He encourages people to be thinking, look, I'm sitting here in the presence of the Lord. God is looking at me, and I'm looking at God. I'm in his presence. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence. Come before his presence, rather, with singing. Singing has the meaning here. It has the concept of, again, it's loudness. There's a lot of repeat. There's a lot of overlap in these words. Singing here in its meaning has the concept of loudness and joyfulness. So again, here it is, not that important how good of a voice you have. Sing with all, sing enthusiastically. Don't shout, as we said before, but sing enthusiastically. But come into the Lord's presence with singing, with joyful singing unto the Lord. Verse 3. Know ye, here's some more motivation for, for glad service. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. The word Lord here is Jehovah. You know the meaning of Jehovah. I think you do. Jehovah means the self-existent one. The one who never had a beginning. He's self-existent. He was, he is, and he always will be. Or along with that, he's the, therefore, he is the eternal one. Jehovah speaks of God as being eternal, as being self-existent. He says, know ye that the Lord, he is is God. Several times in the scriptures, we read that the Jesus Christ, the Jesus of Nazareth of the New Testament, is in fact the Jehovah of the Old Testament. And so tonight, here's the question I have for you. Are you 100% convinced that Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you believe that you have received as your own personal Savior, the one that you believe is the Lord and master of your life. You say, Jesus Christ is not only my Savior, which he is, but he is also my Lord. Now, do you say that or do you really mean that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is Jehovah? In other words, this is so simple, but I think sometimes we forget how important this is. There must be a, 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 a solid convincing in our mind and heart that the Jesus of the New Testament is Jehovah of the Old Testament and that he, as the Son of God, God in human flesh, is the one who is our Savior and he is our Lord. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Are you 100% convinced that Jesus is truly God? 
I said on, as we got together for visitation the other night, I said, you know, uh, I know to be saved we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but you can't believe on somebody you don't even know who he is. It's not just believing somebody died for me. It's not just believing somebody rose again from the grave. It's not just believing somebody can forgive my sins because of who he is and what he's done. The question is, who is he? Who is he? Paul and Silas said to the Philippian jailer, well, he cries out, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Believe on whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say in Romans? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a proclaimer? So it's believing in the person the person of Jesus Christ, that he, as God in human flesh, did pay for our sins, did rise again from the grave, and now can save us by his grace, his power, and his mercy. So what are some proofs of his deity? If, again, if this was Wednesday night, if this was Sunday school, I'd ask you to raise your hand. I just jotted down seven. Seven proofs. How do you know Jesus is God? In fact, let's do it tonight, please. You give me one, I'll repeat it. I've got seven. Can you get all seven? There's a whole lot more than seven. Can you get the seven I have? Know ye that the Lord, he is God. The one you're going to serve, you say, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one I'm going to serve with gladness. Why? Because I know one thing, he is God Almighty. Give me a proof of his deity. Raise your hand, please. Who's first? Daniel. He rose from the grave. That's number seven. They're not in any order now, but that's the seventh one. He rose bodily from the grave. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, we're told that that is one definite proof of his deity was the fact that he rose again from the grave. Give me another. Yes, sir, Jason. That's not on my list. That's a, that's a key one. Fulfilled prophecy. That's great proof. I love that study of the Bible. Somebody else. Yes, sir. Born of a virgin, that's the first one I wrote down. We got two out of seven. He was virgin born. That is absolutely a proof that he is God. Yes. Thank you. Eliana, here we go. Let's see. His miracles. He performed miracles in and of his own power. That's proof of his deity. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. What else proves he's God? You go, yes, ma'am. That's, that's the next one we're going to cover. That's, that's number eight. That's in the next phrase. Thank you very much. He's the creator. Anybody else? You got another one? That's one of his miracles. Okay. I'll give you some. His names. Whoops, I'm sorry. There you go. His, sinless, his sinlessness. He lived a sinless life. Anybody else before I give him? Give, yes, sir. He claimed to be the son of God. There you go. His claims. He said he was. Anyone else? All right, the ones I wrote down, his virgin birth, his names. What's one of his names? Emmanuel, God with us. His virgin birth, his names, his sinlessness, his claims, his attributes, like knowing what people were thinking. He perceived their thoughts. His miracles, his body resurrection. There are more. There are more. It's just some of the things that are proof to us that Jesus of Nazareth is, in fact, God in human flesh. The psalmist said, oh, as you serve the Lord with gladness, as you come before his presence with singing, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. And then he gives us in this same verse another reason, another proof that we can know that Jesus is God. It said, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. He is our creator. He made us. John 1, 1, 2, and 3. You can say the verses with me. 
Speaking of Jesus Christ, who's called the Word there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is the creator of mankind and the universe of all things. It says here, know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. But the word made here does not simply mean that he created us, he got us born. It also implies that he is our sustainer. He's the one that sustains us. And along with that, it also has the idea of the meaning that he, 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 he made us what we are. Listen, anything about us that's any good right now, wherever we, how old are you? Are you seven years old? Are you 12 years old? 19 years old, 25, 37, 45, 120. How old are you? What are you right now? God has made you what you are. You say, well, now, this is a bad thing. Did God do that? We can't blame God for the bad things, I can tell you that. But we are what we are by the grace of God. And God does not, Jesus did not just create us. He, did not, he does not just sustain us. But he works in our hearts and lives and molds us into the kind of person that he wants us to be. And really, in the scriptures, it's called Christ-likeness. But that's not the end. Look what he says. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. Let me just stop and say this. That is a, that is a fact of scripture that more and more makes me realize why in the world would I want to make all my own decisions why would I want to determine things for in my life like, like I'm the boss? When I realized that if it weren't for Christ, I wouldn't even be here. There'd be no Larry Jack Carsey's born December 7, 1944 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. There's no Larry. If there, no, it's, it's, all, it's all the work of God. And I'd have been dead a long time ago. And who knows what I'd be like if I wasn't even saved. Alive but unsaved. And it's like... All that God has done in just creating me and keeping me and guiding me, it's like, why would I want to be a thief and steal from God and run my own life? It just makes sense to give my life. He says, it is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. Then he says, we are his people. People simply means a congregated uh, unit. It's like a tribe or a troop or a nation. It's a, it's a group of people. We are his people. We're the people of God. We hear that phrase, we're the people of God. And that's a wonderful truth. We are his people. But then he goes another step and he says, the sheep of his pasture. That's a little bit better yet. We're not just the people of God. We're not just the family of God as believers. We are the sheep of God. One of the best messages I ever heard, really, was a few weeks ago and I guess it was when we were on vacation this summer when Brother Tillman preached a message in this church from John chapter 10, that shepherd chapter, about Jesus being our shepherd and we are being his sheep. That was a, that was a wonderful message. You remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just stop and think about what it means that, that, that you are a sheep, that I am a sheep in the flock of God, that God is my shepherd. He's my guide. He's my sustainer. He feeds me, provides for me. He, he's my protector from the wolves out there. It's just something to think that Jesus Christ said, my sheep, I quoted it this morning, John 10, 28, my sheep hear my voice 
and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Keep your finger here, please. Back to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I know we could all quote this. Whenever I have you quote a whole passage, I look at it because I don't want to lead you astray. Okay, Psalm 23. Let's read it together. And think about what we just read in Psalm 100. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That ought to encourage us to serve the Lord. Why? Read Psalm 23. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell. Look at that last verse. We'll see that in Psalm 100 in just a moment. Surely the goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Go back to Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now look at verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. The word thanksgiving has in it, by the way, the concept of adoration. It really speaks of, of strong adoration. Enter his, enter, enter his courts with thanksgiving, with an attitude, a heart of, of, of adoration. And then there's the word courts. I didn't know this. The word courts is actually a yard or perhaps a hamlet surrounded by walls. I think of it this way as I look at the verse. The gate of adoration opens up to us. And leads us into the yard of praise. In other words, we honor and we laud. The word praise means to laud, okay? We honor and laud. We praise the Lord. Why? Because we adore him. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. There's adoration that leads to a, so to speak, a yard or a hamlet of lauding praising the Lord. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. He says, be thankful unto him and bless his name. The word thankful means to worship, to revere with extended hands. To be thankful, to worship, to revere, literally with extended hands. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Again, bless means to kneel with adoration means to praise. When we think of blessing his name, enter into his, into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, notice please, and bless his name. Bless his name. To kneel with adoration, to praise, to bless his name. So what is his name? His name speaks of his position. More, really, it speaks of his person. Bless his name. 
blesses person. It speaks of his position, especially his position of authority. As you can see, we're kneeling before the Lord. We're in his presence. We're overwhelmed by his love, his grace, his mercy, all he is, all he's done for us. We're, we're overwhelmed with that. And we honor him. We adore him. And we break out in thanksgiving and, and praise. And along with that comes joyful, glad service. All because of who he is. All because of his person. All because of his place, his position, and his special place of absolute authority as sovereign God and Lord Jesus Christ. He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And look how the psalm ends. Here's some more, here's some, listen, here's some more motivation for that little phrase in verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. What does that mean? How do you summarize the Lord is good? Could I put it this way? <laughs> Everything positive we can think about, about anything to do with life, that's really what God is. God is good. The Lord is good. Everything, anything and everything positive we could ever think. Leave out all the negative. Leave out all the, the sad, the sorrowful, the, the stressful, the disappointing, the fearful. Leave, it all, leave all the negative out. Whatever is good, the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. What did we just see there at the end of Psalm 23? We saw about the goodness of the Lord, about the mercy of the Lord. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Speaks of his kindness. Speaks of his compassion. Speaks of his forgiving. And, and, you know, in our definition of mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Why? Because of his compassion. Because of his kind thoughts toward us that we do not deserve. We say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Look upon me as you looked upon the, the blood of the lamb that was shed for sins, how that, how that satisfied you. Be satisfied. God, be merciful to me. It's the kindness, the compassion, the forgiveness of God. The Lord is good. His mercy is what? Everlasting. And look how it ends. His truth endureth to all generations. I'm thankful for that. That every word of God is true from the beginning, the Bible says. That everything that God says, I mean, listen, folks. Here's God's truth. And Jesus said, it's the TFY verse, John 17, 17, truth for you. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. God always keeps his word. He's always faithful. I quote this verse often, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Every, we sing the, the little chorus, every promise of the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. Um, really, every single promise in the Bible is really not for us. 
technically, but it is true. Every promise in the book that there is that does apply to us, we can count it. God will keep his word. God always speaks the truth. One of my favorite hymns is the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You know the first verse. Let's sing it together. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever. And the chorus, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. So what's a good thing to do? Serve the Lord with gladness. Let's stand together, please. Serve the Lord with gladness. This week... God gives us one day, two days, three days, a whole week from the time we wake up in the morning to the time we go to sleep at night. Everything we do, let's do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's do it solely, only for his glory. And let's do it with gladness of heart. Because it is a great privilege in the light of all those wonderful truths just there in Psalm 100. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I pray that the phrases, the words, the verses of this psalm will be in our minds and hearts throughout the coming days. And I pray especially that no matter what we might face, no matter what disappointments might come our way, Whatever sadness we might experience or frustration or stress, whatever, Father, would you please help us to try our very best by your grace and with your help, of course, to keep on serving you with gladness. What a privilege, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have an invitation, not like we always do. Our pianist will play a, a verse of a song. And uh, would you talk with the Lord about the message tonight, whatever it is, whatever he's speaking to you about, would you talk with him, please?
is Jesus our Lord. Many of you, I hope, have gotten to know someone's been visiting. Brother Ira Bennett, we had such a nice visit with him, my wife and I, a week and a half or so ago. You know, Ira and his, and his wife, Norma.